Physiology Bit by Bit. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Sullivan, uh, and I'm coming to you from the suburbs of Philadelphia where I teach human anatomy and physiology at Bucks County Community College. I've been doing that since 2002. So now I'm 21 years in, starting my 22nd year of teaching this class. So as most of you are aware, it has been a while since my last episode. If you're listening straight through and kind of a new listener, you won't even notice anything, but it's actually been over two years since I recorded the last episode. I have been really busy getting my tutor videos together, as well as all the other things that keep a person busy, right? So, you know, kids, family, pets, all that good stuff. For those of you who heard the episode about my old cat that had to have his thyroid radiated, I'll give you an update. It's now three years later. He is now an older cat, 19 years old almost, and um, now he is diabetic, getting a couple of insulin shots a day, losing a lot of weight. So he's hanging on, but, um, you know, he's still struggling. But uh, I got some emails and um, some messages asking about the cat, so I appreciate your concern. He's still going. So anyway, uh, thank you for reaching out about that. By the way, if you are interested in in the tutor video project that I've been working on with McGraw-Hill Education, it is called Anatomy and Physiology Digital Suite, and it is basically an alternative to a print textbook uh, using tutor videos and a bulleted uh, narrative study guide to deliver the content necessary for a majors level anatomy and physiology course in college. So um, so you can check that out, and I appreciate it. And don't forget, I also have the YouTube channel, Student Help 4AP. That's the number 4AP. Um, and hopefully you get some benefit out of that if you would like to look at some of my older tutor videos uh, that are available for you to use there. So I think we're going to go back into the brain and maybe talk about uh, some more anatomical structures, especially the meninges uh, and things like that. So um, why don't we get started? All right. So the meninges is a plural word, plural the word meninx, and the meninges are three layers that surround and cover the brain and spinal cord. Uh, They're protective coverings, and uh, you might have heard the word meningitis, right? Meningitis is an infection of the meninges. It is sometimes viral, sometimes bacterial, but it causes inflammation in the the meninges, and um, they call that meningitis. It's a pretty pretty common uh, condition, can be really dangerous. And, uh, and that's where you might have heard that term before. So you know that the from the spinal cord that there is a three-layer covering of the brain and spinal cord. Uh, and those three layers are called moters, M-A-T-E-R, mater. And there is the pia mater, and that's the deepest layer, the, the deepest layer surrounding the surface of the brain. The arachnoid mater, which is the next mater... Uh, on top of the pia mater, and then the dura mater, which is the more durable kind of leathery uh, layer on the outer surface. And those three layers are protective. They also have cerebrospinal fluid in the spaces between them sometimes. Uh, and, uh, and you may have even heard some spaces associated with these, with these uh, moters, like the epidural space, or you might have heard the term subdural hematoma, which is, a, which is blood-collecting 
in in the space beneath the dura mater. So um, epidural injections, you might have heard of that. Uh, so these are all these are all associated with the spaces either uh, surrounding or underneath these layers, these meninges. So let's start with the deepest layer right on the surface of the brain, and that would be the pia mater, P-I-A-M-A-T-E-R, two words, the pia mater, and that is directly attached to the brain and spinal cord. It's mostly irregular connective tissue. If you remember that back from the histology episodes, uh, it's mostly irregular connective tissue. And on top of it, there are these little tiny um, extensions that look like um, stilts. And, and, and standing on that pia mater is the arachnoid mater. Also, uh, arachnoid means uh, like a spider, right? So in these, these, these uh, extensions of collagen and elastic fibers that are sitting on top of the pia mater uh, as, a, as a part of the arachnoid mater, they kind of look like a spider web. And so you get this uh, spider-like appearance, and we call that the arachnoid mater. So uh, on the brain, you've got arteries and veins, obviously, and they're going to supply blood and drain blood to and from the brain uh, and the spinal cord. And they all lie like right on top of the pia mater. And those arachnoid stands that, that are those um, little extensions called trabeculae, they're kind of holding those blood vessels onto the surface of the pia mater. So that if you were to dissect a sheep brain, for example, if you pulled off the arachnoid mater, you'd be pulling off those blood vessels with it. So uh, and that typically happens, for those of you who are familiar with dissecting a sheep brain, which I do in my class, um, that'll happen once you do that. So, so that's the, the pia mater and the arachnoid mater. And then the most superficial layer, which is made of dense, irregular connective tissue, is called the dura mater. And that's the, the thickest, toughest, most durable one, right? So it's like a heavy-duty layer. It's very protective. It's right between, uh, it, it's, I should say, it's really just deep to the skull and the vertebral canal. So it is the most superficial layer of the um, central nervous system's meninges. So because of the, the spaces that surround them or are in, underneath them, we've got these spaces that are named like epidural space. And in the brain, there's really no epidural space because the dura mater is directly attached to the inside of the cranium. So there is no epidural space in the brain, but in the spinal cord, there is. So the dura mater surrounds the arachnoid mater of the spinal cord, and then there's a space usually filled with like fat between the inside of the vertebral canal and the dura mater, and we call that the epidural space. So you might have even heard of an epidural injection, like if someone's having a baby, um, they do an epidural injection of an anesthetic to numb the area so that they don't feel the intense pain of, uh, or they lessen the intense pain of the childbirth. And those injections are in the epidural space. So they call them epidural injections. Another space that's really important is the subarachnoid space. And that is the space that the arachnoid trabeculae exist in, right? So those, those stands, those kind of legs sitting on top of the pia mater, 
uh, they exist in this space that's between the arachnoid monitor and the pia monitor called the subarachnoid space. And that space is filled with cerebrospinal fluid. Cerebrospinal fluid is this clear fluid and it's surrounding the brain and spinal cord and it's also inside the internal cavities of the brain and spinal cord. So you might have heard the term spinal tap and that's an old term for a procedure called a lumbar puncture. So in the lumbar spine, they will put a needle in, they'll get into the subarachnoid space and they will draw cerebrospinal fluid out of that subarachnoid space and then they will analyze it to see if there's any uh, evidence of infection or inflammation there and that's kind of how they would diagnose meningitis. So, so that's the subarachnoid space filled with cerebrospinal fluid. Now like I was saying before, there's a space between the dura mater and the arachnoid mater but that space doesn't really exist unless blood fills the area between those two layers and creates a space. And that is called a subdural space. And when blood collects in that subdural space, it's called a subdural hematoma. And it's usually the result of a head injury and can be really dangerous because the collecting blood will start to pool and create pressure on the brain internally. Uh, and, that, and that can be a, a real danger. And this is one of the reasons why people who have a head injury should um, not, take it seriously, right? Perhaps get a CT scan to see if there is any pooling of blood in that subdural space because it can result in death uh, relatively quickly. The interesting thing about the dura mater of the brain that makes it different from the dura mater of the spinal cord is that around the spinal cord, the dura mater is just really one layer. It's one thick layer of dense, irregular connective tissue, but around the brain, there's actually two layers of the dura mater. There's a layer that is directly attached to the inside of the cranial bones, and we call that the periosteal layer, and then there's a layer that is deep to that, and they're fused together, and that layer deep to it is called the meningeal layer. Now what happens is, as you start to look at the meninges getting closer and closer to the mid-sagittal suture, which is at the very top of your cranium, those two layers split. The periosteal layer remains adhered to the inside of the cranial bones, and the meningeal layers, they split off and form like the letter Y, joining up with one another and going down into the longitudinal fissure between the two cerebral hemispheres. And that structure, that two-layered dura mater of, of two meningeal layers dividing the two cerebral hemispheres is called the falx cerebri, F-A-L-X cerebri. And it separates the two cerebral hemispheres from one another. And when you talk about the meninges, it, it's also a good a good place to start talking about the cerebrospinal fluid because the cerebrospinal fluid is found within all of these layers. Let's take a look at some cerebrospinal fluid uh, information as well, as long as we're in this episode. So we call cerebrospinal fluid CSF. That's like the easy way to abbreviate it. And it's a clear fluid. It's produced by the brain, but really it's produced within these capillaries inside the brain's internal spaces. So it's kind of an interesting way that it works because 
we've got these spaces inside the brain, and we call them ventricles. So if you were in the middle of the cerebrum, you've got the two cerebral lobes, left and right, you have this big band of, of white matter that is connecting the two lobes together called the corpus callosum. And underneath that, you have this, these two spaces. They're bilateral, left and right, and they're divided by a very thin membrane called the septum pellucidum. And that keeps the two, those two spaces separate from one another, so we have a left and a right. We call them lateral ventricles. So there's a left and a right lateral ventricle. And, with, and the, the roof of those lateral ventricles is the corpus callosum. Well, there's another structure of white matter forming the floor called the fornix. And then below the fornix, you have another ventricle called the third ventricle. So the fornix is the floor of the lateral ventricles, but the roof of the third ventricle. And then the third ventricle gives way to a tunnel that travels through the midbrain of the brainstem called the cerebral aqueduct. And that leads to a space between the pons and medulla oblongata of the brainstem and the cerebellum. And that's called the fourth ventricle. So these ventricles have in them blood capillaries called the choroid plexus. And then we also know about the ependymal cells that line these ventricles. So these choroid plexuses, they filter blood plasma out of the capillary and through those ependymal cells. And so that fluid eventually gets to the ventricular spaces. And when it does, it's called cerebrospinal fluid. Now these ependymal cells, one of their jobs is to modify the chemical composition of the blood plasma so that way, by the time it gets into the ventricles, it's not really the same as blood plasma. It has almost no proteins in it. Uh, the potassium, calcium, and glucose levels are lower in CSF than they are in blood plasma, but it does have more sodium chloride. So it is different from a chemical composition than blood plasma, and, um, and it is flowing around in these ventricles of the brain. So what happens is now this CSF is going to flow from ventricle to ventricle and then into the subarachnoid spaces. So like I said, all four ventricles are going to have uh, choroid plexuses, and, and those choroid plexuses are going to filter out blood plasma and form this CSF. Let's start in the lateral ventricles, for example. So in the lateral ventricles, we've got the CSF. The lateral ventricle and third ventricle are connected by a tiny foramen called the interventricular foramen. And it's located in the rostral or anterior part of the lateral ventricle. The CSF can actually go through that interventricular foramen into the third ventricle. And then the choroid plexus in the third ventricle will add more CSF to that. So through this third ventricle, we've got more CSF. At the bottom of the third ventricle, we have the opening to that cerebral aqueduct that is the canal traveling through the midbrain of the brainstem into a space between the medulla and the pons and the cerebellum called the fourth ventricle. And the fourth ventricle has its own choroid plexus, and that produces even more CSF. 
the back wall of that fourth ventricle is the, is the cerebellum, and the anterior wall is the pons and the medulla oblongata. Eventually, that fourth ventricle will bottleneck its way down toward the spinal cord, leading to that little tiny tunnel in the middle of the spinal cord called the central canal. A small amount of CSF actually goes into that central canal, but most of it is going to leave the fourth ventricle through these three small holes called apertures. There's one right in the midline uh, called the median aperture, and then there's two on the sides called the lateral apertures. And all of those apertures lead right into the subarachnoid space. So CSF will leave the fourth ventricle through those apertures and enter the subarachnoid space. And that surrounds the entire central nervous system, brain and spinal cord. So the CSF is going to flow both rostrally toward the front of the brain, toward the anterior, and caudally toward the posterior in that subarachnoid space and surround the entire brain and spinal cord. So it's going to keep flowing through there, and then it's going to eventually get to these areas of arachnoid mater that are projecting into the space between the periosteal and meningeal layers of the dura mater, right along the mid-sagittal line. This space is actually filled with blood, and it's called the dural venous sinus, or some people call it the superior sagittal sinus. So the pieces of arachnoid mater, called arachnoid villi, they project into that space, and then the CSF that goes into those arachnoid villi, they kind of filter their way back into the circulatory system, into that superior sagittal sinus, or dural venous sinus. So it's all pressure-based, right? There's a positive pressure of CSF in the subarachnoid space, and it pushes the CSF into the arachnoid villi, and then it's going to be reabsorbed back into the bloodstream and become plasma again. At any given time, we have about 100 to 160 milliliters of CSF uh, surrounding our brain and spinal cord. Our brains make about 500 milliliters a day that flows around, but, it, but most of it is reabsorbed back uh, into the uh, bloodstream. So we only have about 100 to 160 at any given time. So what are the functions of cerebrospinal fluid? So what does it do? I mean, the first thing is it's going to help maintain the chemical composition of the extracellular fluid of nervous tissue. So wastes produced by the cells of the nervous tissue don't hang around in the extracellular fluid too long because we don't want them to disrupt the normal function of those neurons. Uh, the movement of, of uh, flowing CSF around the brain also helps to wash away those waste products. Uh, the next one is it physically protects the brain. It actually provides a fluid resistance to sudden brain movement. So the brain's not going to go banging into the inside of your cranium all the time because it has this, this fluid cushion of CSF around there, kind of slowing down the movement of the brain uh, within it. The brain actually kind of floats in the CSF. So the other function is buoyancy. Um, the majority of the brain's mass doesn't just rest on the floor of the cranial cavity, and it also doesn't hang from the top of your skull. It, it mostly just kind of floats in the CSF, and that reduces the strain on the meninges and keeps the brain from kind of leaking out through the uh, foramen magnum of the occipital bone. 
So, so that's the cerebrospinal fluid. And then also, I guess we covered meninges as well. So that's kind of a lot to do in one episode. So uh, I think it's probably a good place to, to uh, cut it off there. And our next episode, maybe we'll get into more um, anatomical regions of the brain and what their functions are as well. So um, I really appreciate you tuning back in. I mean, it's been a while for me, maybe not for you if you've just kind of started the podcast, um, then you'll have a seamless transition into this episode. But it's been about, you know, almost two and a half years since the last time I recorded one. So it is nice to get back uh, back on the mic and and give give um, all these A&P students and interested parties something to listen to again. So thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, I want to remind you of my YouTube channel, uh, Student Help for AP. That's the number four AP. Uh, check it out for extra help, um, as well as check out Anatomy and Physiology Digital Suite by McGraw-Hill Education. It's something I've been authoring for years, and it's almost done, but it is live. It is available, even though it's not 100% finished. There's plenty of content in there. Um, that might be something you got to tell your professors about because it is a, a full online system for teaching and learning A&P. And, uh, and once again, thank you to Bucks County Community College for giving me a job that I love and, and for uh, McGraw-Hill Education for doing the same. I will see you next time. Anatomy and Physiology Bit by Bit is a production of Minus 55 Media.